This episode of The Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf, is brought to you by New Club Golf Society, a humble community of golfers connected by our love for the game. Follow us on social media with the handle New Club Golf. Here we are with Rich Tock, the PGA ambassador for Aaron Hills, and Steve Pease, marketing manager for Aaron Hills. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us on The Bag Drop. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Pat. Good morning. So I've been doing my, my homework, reading up a bit more, gearing up for our little trip with you guys in a couple of weeks. We're calling it the Wisco Weekend, uh, which you guys are the staple, uh, the main event, if you will. And there's, there's a lot out there, you know, a course that was built for a national championship. Um, but where I wanted to start it is what you guys think the, you know, our group is just very excited. Uh, many people are playing it for the first time. What do you think the appeal of Aaron Hills is to the recreational golfer or the leisurely golfer when it's a place that was very publicly built for national championships? Well, when you have a U.S. Open at your golf course, you immediately become on a bucket list for people. And, and so, and there's only been six public access golf courses in 119 years that have hosted a U.S. Open. Okay. So for your listeners, uh, obviously they know that one of them is Aaron Hills. So we'll get the other five a little bit later in this broadcast. How's that, Matt? So we, they can think about it or Google it, however they want to do it. Um, but that in itself is what creates a bucket list. Now, they hosted in 2008 the U.S. Public Links, the Women's Public Links Championship. And it had only been open for two years. And then they had the U.S. Amateur in 2011. And then, of course, the Open in 17. And we have the 2022 U.S. Mid-Am. And we have the 2025 U.S. Women's Open. So we'll be the only golf course in the country or world to host those five championships all on the same golf course after 2025, which is pretty unique. Do you think it's it, that, that bucket list component is certainly what, uh, what I see, too, is people making the drive up from Chicago to play, you know, uh, a big challenging test of a golf course. But I, I've been out there and I've always had a great time. It, it is a brute of a golf course. Uh, both in, in uh, trying to achieve the lowest score possible and also, you know, navigating the walk and everything. But, what, but people have a blast. What do you think is it about the way it plays for your average player that they still, that they still really enjoy? Well, in addition to being a bucket list with, with the Open, uh, Aaron Hills has become a very boutique type of golf course. So in terms of uh, once you get on property – we have a welcome house that greets our guests there. If they have any questions, they're answered. Uh, if they don't have questions, we give them directions to where to go, whether they are um, a day tripper or an overnight stayer. There's two different locations they go. And you know, we have some amenities on the golf course, but we're, we're mostly about golf. I mean, we have the Drumlin, which we just opened last August 1st. That's a 63,000 square foot putting green with undulations that are 10 feet in height uh, back to the to ground level. And a football field is 57,000 square feet. So that puts things in perspective of how big the putting green is. So we can host uh, numerous groups of four or eight or 12 on that green at the same time. 
and it stays open to 11, 11.30 at night. So many of our guests will have dinner, they'll play golf, they'll have dinner, and then they go down to Drumlin and, and um, you know, smoke a cigar and sip on a scotch and talk stupid, make a few side bets. Um, and, and But we also have the Caddy Barn, which after dark, we turn into like an entertainment center, it has pool, ping pong, shuffleboard, golden tea, couple big screen televisions. And, and so that is a entertainment type of venue for guys that guys, guys that want to go down there and gamble a little bit, try to get their money back. They lost on the golf course, but the golf course itself has five or six sets of tees. And, and if you play the right tee, uh, yeah, it can be a beast. If you go back at the black, which stretches over 8,100 yards and uh, the open, I believe on Saturday of the Open, we played it at 78 plus, 7,800 plus yards. But, I mean, those are the best players in the world and they hit it 320. You know, the average guy, they really ought to play the white tees or the green tees, which are 62, 6,300, or 6,700 yards. Now, green-white combo is a good one. I'd say. Yeah, green-white combo is a good one too. But, uh, you know, the blue tee, the guy that's a 2, 3, 4 handicapper, he'll he'll challenge himself to the blue tees, 7,200 yards. And that, that's a, that's a good challenge. So uh, in addition to that, we, we built an entire new practice range and facility just for the open. So we have about 150 yard hole out, uh, on the range. So guys can, I mean, if they're driving up from Chicago, they always get here early because they think the traffic is just like it is in Chicago. And it isn't because once they get north of O'Hare Field, it's free sailing right there in Hills. And then as they approach Aaron Hills, they're wondering where they're going as they look to the right and there's turkeys and they look to the left and there's sandhill cranes and then there's cows and then there's cornfields. And then it's like, where are we going? Where is there a golf course out here somewhere? But uh, once they get here, they understand that everything is uh, pristine. It's, it's neat. It's clean. The service is great. The caddies are great. The food is great. The lodging is great. And, of course, the golf course is a challenge for all, all of us. You know, seven of the top ten in the world missed the cut at the U.S. Open. Do you know that? You probably knew that. You did I, your research. I did. Um, You're jumping ahead to some of my, my favorite questions for you. But Yeah. So, but, but, uh, but that's why you, you come play Aaron Hills. And, you know, Wisconsin is now the number one state in the country for the most golf courses ranked in the top 100 in Golf Digest. We have 11 of them, 11 all public golf courses, ranked in the top 100. Now that's, that's saying something for a five or six month season. Kind of crazy when you think about it. It is, it really does. And, and Steve, you, you're a native Wisconsin, Wisconsinite, do I have that right? What's the yeah, that's it. nailed it. <laughs> okay, uh, didn't want to offend anyone behind the cheddar curtain. But uh, what is it you, you've been at Aaron Hills, you know, working for um, a little while, but before then, just being a native Wisconsinite, what did you love about Aaron Hills? Yeah, so before I worked here, I actually snuck out here. And uh, when we were closed, I, I, you know, took in all of the, the grandeur of what that was Aaron Hills. But I mean, it's just, it's a world-class golf resort in your backyard. So it's, as a, you know, golf geek, I, I love the idea that we would have something like this so close. And um, 
it's it's just an amazing place. It's it's for me. There's a mysticism about it. I mean, it has a definitely Irish Scottish vibe to it, especially early in the mornings when there's a bit of a mist. It certainly wind can bluster, and it, it becomes a different types of, type of hybrid links style um, American links, if you want to call it that, golf course where it's there's nothing quite like it. In I'd even say in the Midwest, um, from what I've played, that's that's available for public play. Um, Got a cool logo. Um, it's it's just, it's it's overall just like a, a golfer's haven, and um, the property is so expansive at 652 acres. It's it's just something to behold um, when you're not even on the golf course yet. But once you step on, um, it's 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 certainly a challenge. But it's one that for me um, and all of the, cor- the courses that I've played in Wisconsin that it certainly makes you focus and you can, and I can see shots and it, and it, it kind of challenges all of my sensibilities before I even hit a shot, um, which I really, I try really enjoy. Like my ball striking, I can't always execute exactly the shot I see, but um, I'll vouch for that. Thanks Rich, <laughs> but I'm, I'm working on it. Um, but the, the, the place just, it makes you, you step into another, a bit of another world. Um, and like, that's, that's not, you know, marketing speak necessarily it is but it really isn't you you've played it before you you probably you probably know but it's a, it's kind of a, it's a dream come true for me to work here and i have a lot of pride in, in wisconsin and wisconsin golf and and this is the the gem of those two yeah yeah i, I definitely share those sentiments from my my own experience and i'm always what i love about it is it's an it's the perfect hybrid of the uh like you said, the mystical side of golf, the romantic side of it, I mean, uh, really does remind you of, you know, Lynx land of Scotland and Ireland, like you mentioned. Um, but I'm still a golfer and I want to play well. And I've never achieved that yet at Aaron Hills by my probably unrealistic expectations. But Rich, you have uh, a series of YouTube videos out there um, that, yes. and there's, and, and I mean this with all due respect, there's no shortage of PGA pros on YouTube giving us tips right now, but yours have been going for a couple years and I'm on the Aaron Hills email and I love it. I really do. And, um, particularly the ones where you focus on, uh, holes, uh, out on the course and, and how to, to play them. So if I'm coming up as a visitor, I actually do enjoy looking at those and saying, okay, that's not miss long on 13. You know, that's, let's think about this. Um, I, I wonder if you could share for our group that's listening right now, what are some overall tips or maybe the top three that you like to share with people on how they should approach their round uh, before teeing off on one? Well, I think as I mentioned earlier, Play the right tees. That that's probably number one. Yeah, I mean we get the macho guys that that want to take it back and say, yeah, they they played the tips at Aaron Hills. You know they're a four handicap and they shoot ninety two. So I wouldn't be bragging about that if I was them. <laughs> but um, but once you get onto the golf course and you select the correct tee and maybe a tee that's challenging, then then the key is to drive it straight. Okay, if, you're, if you can't drive the ball and play, you're going to be digging it out of the fescue, which is 6 to 18 inches tall. Now, you don't lose a ball here. Well, you don't if you take caddies because they watch your swing on the range. They know what kind of player you are, and they immediately will walk right to the ball 
and rarely lose a golf ball. But if you're on your own and you're carrying your clubs and you hit one out in the fescue, you only have four trees on the golf course. So it's hard to line it up with anything. And it's, uh, it could be a challenge trying to find it. But that's number one. I'd say that it's to drive it straight. You know, our greens putt perfect. We like to keep them about 10 and a half, 11 on the step meter on a daily basis. Now we're open seven days a week for five and a half months. So uh, we don't do any maintenance on the golf course while we're open for play. So we airify our greens like every golf course does, but we do it the first week of April. And by the first week of May, when we open, they're back to perfect. Curtis Strange told me uh, in 17 that we were at a cocktail party and we were chatting and he said, Rich, these are the best greens I have seen in 40 U.S. Opens. So, uh, and that was on a Tuesday night. Um, unfortunately, we got two inches of rain later that night because we were, we were gearing up to be perfect conditions, firm, fast, perfect greens, 13 to 13 and a half for the championship. And the rain kind of softened the golf course and come Thursday the wind didn't blow and it didn't blow on Friday and it got to 90 and it didn't blow on Saturday or Sunday. So we had very little wind. It always blows out here. So that's number two is, is how to handle wind conditions. It's rarely calm here. And I mean, it's not unplayable wind. It's just a nice one or two club wind. Uh, most amateurs uh, don't know how to play in the wind. Uh, they don't take enough club. They throw the ball way up into the clouds. Um, so the wind takes it left, right, or drops it 20 yards short of the green. So that's that's number two. And then, you know, number three, short game's important. We have some some very, very difficult bunkers. And, and so if, if your game's not sharp, if your iron game's not sharp, you know, some of these deep bunkers and you might be standing on your head trying to hit a shot out of it, um, you need to prepare a short game and you need to have all the shots around the greens. You need to flop shot. You need a little bump and run. You need a hybrid, you know, putting on the, on some of the slope greens. So all those kind of things, but it comes right back down to your iron play. You know, where are you setting yourself up for the next shot? Kind of like pool. You know, you, you always, you assume you're going to make the, you know, the seven ball, but are you prepared to make the next one? So those three things are very important when you come to Aaron Hills. I think we nailed all three of them. There you go. Yeah. I, I, I your, your um, comment on the caddies, I want to talk about them for a second because I've always had fantastic caddy experiences at Aaron Hills. Um, one of my old high school, I grew up in Akron, Ohio. One of my old high school uh, opponents was a caddy with you guys for years. So I always got stuck with him on my bag, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> and talking a lot of trash while I'm trying to get, get the job done. But the caddies overall have been awesome. And I saw a great article, uh, I think in Golf Digest or Golf Magazine this week, that your caddies, the new ones, the new recruits, are actually doing their training on a video game. Because obviously with COVID, we haven't been able to do the, the regular scheduled trainings for, for folks. So tell us a little bit about that, that they're, they're all getting together virtually, right? And, and playing the golf course. That, that's how we started. We are now, we were able to get on the golf course. In fact, I was just involved with caddy lessons two days ago. Went out with, with our caddy master and his assistant. And then we had, I think, six or eight new recruits 
Um, the one thing we do not do is we don't allow any high school kids to caddy or grade school for that matter. So you must have graduated from high school. So you have to be like 19 years old. Uh, we do have college students that caddy. Uh, they present a little bit of a problem because about mid-August or the 20th of August, they go back to school where they normally do. I don't know what's going to happen this year, but, but so, you know, August, um, September and October are very, very busy for us. And, and so that presents a little bit of a problem. We have 125 to 130 full-time caddies. I'd say 60 to 65% of them are, are full-time caddies, both in the North and the South climate. So they go to Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Palm Springs, Florida, obviously, you know, East Coast, West Coast, Florida. Um, but we run our own caddy program. When I was hired 11 years ago, uh, they they had a group out of Dallas, Texas that managed the caddies. And I found out that we were paying them way too much money and the training wasn't up to my, my par. And so I fired them and I took it over myself and started training the caddies, hired a caddy master. And uh, of course, the rest of the story, we have, we have caddies that are trained. They, they know your golf swing after four or five shots. And, and so I think they're very helpful. Not to mention they carry the golf bag for nine miles. That helps a lot since uh, there's like 13 or 14 pretty steep hills that one must go up or down. Um, and so having a, someone carry your bag helps a lot. Well, you know what? Well, we got to get you a different caddy next time you come up here, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I think he's already, I think you, you finally canned him. Adam Lifko, I love you to death, brother, but I mean, finally canned him. Too, too much, too much competitive fire in our team, I think was the, the challenge. Um, I wanted, so Rich, you've been there for 11 years, but I wanted to, um, you're, you're a legend of Wisconsin golf. Let me just say that. Uh, I see your name all over a bunch of other things prior to that, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the construction of the, the course. And, um, there's a lot of mystique around that as well. And I know our members uh, have read articles and talk about it, but, um, you know, what did you guys remember about the construction of this place? And then we'll get into richer last 11 years, where I, I think from 2009 until 2017, there was a, a continued amount of work being done by the architects. So I, I was curious what, um, when, it, when you think of the, the construction of Aaron Hills, what comes to mind? It started back in 1999. And uh, the land was for sale. And there's numerous people that looked at the land thinking that they would build a golf course with a housing development around it. In fact, I have um, uh, one's passed away, unfortunately, but I've had two good friends that were very seriously about, well, they were going to buy this property and then of course put houses around it and hosting major championships was not part of their game plan. Um, there, it's going to be a residential property and a moneymaker for them. That's how it started out. Um, and then uh, a gentleman by the name of Bob Lang came in. So he was maybe third or fourth person that, that bought the property and he ended up buying three different parcels uh, that totaled 652 acres. So because it was owned by two or three different people. So when he finally got everything accumulated, 
in about 04, he started interviewing architects. I mean, I know Andy North, uh, Nicholas's guys were here. I think Arnie's guys were here. Um, and they finally decided that Hertz and Fry and Witten would be the ones that they would go with. So that was uh, Dr. Michael Hertzen, just a, a wonderful guy, and, and Dana Fry. Uh, I mean, that combination, they've been partners for years and years, and I think Mike Hertzen now is, is kind of retired. And Dana has uh, got Jason Straka as his partner. But they they designed over 200 golf courses around the country, around the world. And so... Uh, that's how that's how it kind of started and so they hired them and it took over two years to build the golf course I mean it didn't open until around the first of July or August in 2006 so what's that 15 years ago um, and it opened in kind of rough condition uh, I played it that first year actually uh, being a golf junkie as I am you know, I wanted to get out here, and there was a lot of um, a lot of hoo-ha about what what's going on here, and you know, they had um, visions of hosting major championships and all this, and the press, um, you know, jumped on all that kind of stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, Wisconsin golf started back with Herb Kohler over in Sheboygan, and you've probably have been to that property. I mean, it's one of the best in the world, and four golf courses, but. You know, he started building golf courses uh, maybe 35 years ago now when he started the river course. And he built Metal Valley. And then he built Whistling Straits. And, of course, we all know Whistling Straits. It's, it's hosted a couple of PGA championships. going to have the Ryder Cup in September, we hope. Then he added the Irish course. But, you know, he has a world-class spa. He, I mean, that, that, that's quite the property. And then um, – Lasonia is another great golf course built by Langford Moreau back in 1922. Um, another one of the top 100 public golf courses. And then John Jonas, who was the CEO of Century World Insurance, he built Century World. It had the flower hole um, uh, years ago. That was probably 40 years ago he built that. He's since passed away. And, and so we just kept adding golf courses, and Wisconsin became a destination. And then along came Aaron Hills. Um, but after they played it the first time, the condition was, was, was really not up to par on, on what people expected. Um, but the property is built on glacier rock. I mean, there's some sand areas out there, but it's, you know, the, the soil is, is really not very conducive for growing grass. And so those first couple of years, um, there was clover and dandelions and, and poa, and there was some bent, and and some fescue, and you name it, and a lot of dirt. Um, they had golf carts on the property initially, um, but so all of a sudden the recession hits, and Mr. Lang had to uh, liquidate a couple of his properties. Very very successful man in business, and he did uh, recycled. Um, paper and calendars um, and, and became very successful and he sold that company but I think his vision was to be able to host a major championship but he was not a golfer now Hurtson and Fry designed the golf course to host a major championship and you were here for the open and, and you saw it and so were 
you know, 250,000 people were here and they saw how easy it was to navigate themselves around the golf course and see golf because of the, the mounds, the hills, um, wasn't easy to walk, but once you got to the top of a hill, you could see a lot of good golf shots. Um, you know, in addition to all the bleachers that they put up. So, but anyhow, uh, the property was sold in November 1st or 2nd of 09 to a gentleman from town, Andy Ziegler, and he bought it for three reasons. He, he's made it very public that he, he bought it um, for philanthropic reasons. Number one, to host major championships for the USGA, where we're all about amateur golf, and we host the state amateur a couple of times. Uh, we've obviously hosted, like I mentioned, the public links, and, and the, we hosted the U.S. Amateur, and, uh, and, you, and of course the U.S. Open is professionals. But um, so he buys this in '09, and we didn't open until August 1st. The tenth hole was a par five, and it was changed to a par four. And so he hired me like two days later to come on board and kind of build a team and create a country club experience at a public access golf course. At the time, we had only hosted the public links and we had not hosted the U.S. Amateur yet. And so our goal was to get the golf course in condition to, to host a major championship. So we did that with putting ryegrass in all the fairways so we had grass to play off of mixed with fescue. So we blended in and then the rye died and the fescue took over. Um, the U.S. Open was not on the books when he bought it. It was not, um, it was obviously in the press that we were going to host you, but that was not, that was not true. Um, but after Andy bought it, it was for the USJ to host major championship. It's for the state of Wisconsin for tourism. And number three, it was for golf junkies. Um, if indeed they were awarded the U.S. Open to play a U.S. Open golf course, which I mentioned earlier, there's only been six of them in the country. So maybe now is the time to, to uh, give you the other five if you'd like, Matt. Um, give us, give us uh, two. I'll give you a couple of them. I'll give you the, a couple of notorious ones. Uh, number, number two would be Torrey Pines, where Tiger Woods, he won uh, his championship, beat Rocco on a broken leg. Um, that's how good Tiger is. Um, and then, of course, Pebble Beach, who everybody knows is probably the most notorious golf course in the world. And then Pinehurst would be number four. So we'll leave number five and six open for the moment. Okay. And your listeners probably already have the answer. But so uh, after Andy bought it in 2009, the USGA had meetings in 2010 their annual meeting, and at Pebble Beach, they announced that you, the U.S. Open in 2017 was going to be at Aaron Hills, and that was announced at Media Day at Pebble Beach, and so then that's when it became official that, that Aaron Hills was going to get the Open, and we were working on trying to get the golf course in shape for the U.S. Amateur, which was going to be played 18 months after he purchased it which is unheard of because the preparation for a major championship usually takes four or five years. We were going to do it all in 18 months. But right after the amateur, we put a full court press on everything on the property to host the U.S. Open. 
in 2017. So we had six years to prepare for that. Uh, changes heard, were made. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I heard, I heard some stories in that six years that uh, the USGA and Mike Davis specifically, every time he was flying from coast to coast, he was making a stop in Wisconsin to check out the progress and the changes. So how active did you have many conversations with, uh, with Michael Hurtson or Dana Fry and, and um, Ron Witten? Did you have a, a lot of conversations with that crew? You were probably very familiar with the golf course by that time. Um, oh, lots of conversations, uh, including Mike Davis, you know, and his team. Uh, he and Andy are very good friends. And um, yes, he was, um, he, he, when he was flying over, he'd stop at Aaron Hills and to see what progress we had made. And there were some changes made when they built the golf course. Um, Ron Witten didn't want to move a lot of dirt. He was a minimalist when it came a little bit like, you know, Crenshaw core at sand Valley or sand Hills in Nebraska. Okay. And we didn't have to move a lot of dirt and we did not move a lot of dirt. Um, but some of the tees were a little small. Um, and after we hosted the U S amateur, uh, Mike Davis and his crew at USJ, which they are, uh, experts at taking data and finding out um, where would we need to make improvements on the golf course to make the more U.S. Open um, tough. And so we added some bunkers. Uh, the amateurs would figure out a shortcut and kind of like a college kid, you know, walking to class. He takes the shortest route and next thing you know, there's a path there, but no sidewalk. And so, um, and so we put bunkers in. Um, we added some tees. Mike Davis, he, he loved the golf course. He loved the open course. We took down well over 100 to 200 trees or shrubs on the golf course. We only have four trees now on the golf course, and none of them come into play. It, it, unless, Matt, maybe you might get one or two of them. But they're way out of play, by the way. I'll find them for a pen. No offense to your golf game, Matt. No, 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 of course. I'll usually hit it over there for a good picture. That's what I do now. Oh, yeah, of course. That's, that's always your excuse. So, as it turns out, um, we've redone the first tee, but Mike liked the fact that we had five or six tees, and it stretched to 8,200 yards at the time. Um, and you say, well, who's going to play at 8,200? Well, you're not going to play the golf course at 8,200, but if you have a, say, a 450-yard par four, and it's downwind, but you can stretch it to five and a quarter, that was very advantageous in Mike Davis's mind to be able to do that. So the tour players just aren't hitting driver sandwich on those holes. And next thing you know, they're hitting you know driver six iron in in a in a major championship. And so all the different sets of tees was very advantageous to host major championships. But we we've taken some of the tees and we've enlarged them. We've redone the first tee. We've redone number three. We've redone, uh, we've added a couple tees on seven. Uh, we added a tee on eight. We redid the ninth tee, the par three, as they call it in Wisconsin, the, uh, the shortest par five in Wisconsin. It's, you know, 140-yard par three, which we have guys that make sevens, eights, nines, pick up, go to the halfway house and have two beers. Yeah, don't, was it don't miss long left on that? Yeah, don't miss anywhere. But Don't miss anywhere. <laughs> But then so, um, and then the 10th hole, which I referred to earlier, uh, that was a long par five. It was a blind tee shot, and it was a blind second shot to a sloped fairway that would run down into 
the rocks and, and stuff. And it was, uh, and then the blind third shot to a camelback green that was about 80 yards long and almost unputtable. And uh, again, moved no dirt. So we turned that par five into a par four. And when Andy bought it, that was in progress. And uh, Dana Fry and Herbson and uh, Witten were redesigning the 10th green and made it to par four and then turned the golf course into a par 72. It was a par 73. And the ninth hole was the buy hole. And you've heard that, you know, it's where you settled your bets if you were down and uh, or a drink hole. Um, but now it's part of the golf course because for those that have played it and probably your listeners, um, and you probably have thousands of listeners uh, listening today, number 18, well, let's go back to number, actually number seven. Okay, six is a par three. Seven was a par three. It was a, it was a, um, a Dell hole like Lahinge has over in Ireland, which is a blind par three. And the tee was set back and they had this mound, which they moved the white rock back and forth, left to right, indicating where the hole location was that day on a long, narrow green that you hit it over this hill and then you'd, you'd climb down and find your ball. And then that was number seven. And then number eight was uh, a par four. And number nine was the 18th hole. That is the current 18th hole. Okay. And then what is now currently number eight used to be number 18. And then you walk to the ninth tee, which, we, which is currently number nine. To number 19 so there have been a lot of changes made wow but that happened before the amateur mike said davis you know andy we really are uh, we can't have a blind par three and host a, a major championship like the u.s amateur and so that was changed and so now number seven is a par five it's a wonderful par five it's a great driving hole uh, we added some bunkers on the left and it's a very, very tight second shot with lots of trouble left, long, long fescue left, and some great bunkers right. So you really need to kind of thread the needle on your second shot. And it's not reachable very, very often, uh, unless it's a down, down wind and you're playing the tee too short. But it's mostly, and then you have a wedge to an uphill green, which, which is kind of a two-tier green. Uh, and then you go to number eight, and then you go to number nine. Um, but, but, uh, there, there was quite a few changes made. And for those that said, wow, really number 18, we used to be number eight because our current golfer goes to 18 and boy, he's having a great round. He might be breaking 80 for the first time in a couple of years, or he might be breaking 90 or maybe a hundred and he makes eight, nine, 10, 11 on the 18th hole. There's, I don't even, I, I should know. Gentlemen's eight. And yeah. once you get to I, I don't know how many bunkers are on the, on the 18th hole, but there's uh, well over a dozen bunkers on 18, and they're steep. I mean, you get in them, uh, you might not get out for two or three shots, and for that reason, you make an eight or a nine or a ten. Yeah, so. you, you've made a few references to, uh, to Ireland, a place that I'm very fond of, particularly the West Coast. Um, and, and that's what I tell people is those – those features you're talking about the deep, deep bunkers that you could spend, you know, your lunch hour in and still not get out of 
um, the, the rolling terrain and, and just the beauty of all those shots you're talking. It does remind me a lot of, of that type of golf, the Lynx golf. It does. Yeah, it, it, it really does. Steve mentioned it earlier. I mean, it, it's, it's a Lynx type golf course. I mean, four trees, lots of hills, fescue fairways, firm and fast, beautiful greens, tough, 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 tough bunkers. Um, I mean, the Hertz and Fry bunkers are masterpieces. You know, they're not the normal in Witten, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Ron, I think, Ron's only designed two golf courses in his life. You know, he's the architectural uh, editor, I think, for Golf Digest currently. Um, I, but he was a trial attorney for his real job, and then he got into golf. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, really a good guy. When he, he was close to town, he'd always come and walk the golf course. He, 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 you know, he loved seeing some of the, the improvements that were made, some of the changes that were made. Um, and, you know, agreed with them all. And Ron has been a, a good friend of Aaron Hills for, well, 15, 18 years, you know, along with Dana and, and Mike Curzon and his son, Mike Jr. Um, you know, they're, they're to be commended for what they, what they built right here because uh, their vision was unbelievable. And people that play it, I, I, I have guys say, man, you've got 16 great golf holes and the other two are really good that's that's saying quite a bit but i mean even even the ones that were really good the 10th which obviously had some updates that was a natural beer that from a minimalist standpoint that's it was just there they 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 maximized what the land gave them and and let land forms as witten says be king but don't sleep on 12 hole 12 is like one of the coolest holes period on this golf course i feel like you know obviously nine gets all of the publicity and is the is the the poster and up i guess right and you have 18 which is the brute but 12 is maybe the best whole pound per pound in my opinion 15 is amazing as well I'm 12 is my uh, favorite hole. 12 is his yeah. favorite if i was going to he didn't you know that if i was going to have a favorite hole people ask me that all the time and then they said you know what's your favorite golf course in the world um that's a tough one. I've been very fortunate to play a lot of them, but I usually come up with Royal Port Rush in Northern Ireland. Because that, that right there explains why number 12 is your favorite. Cause I, I could see that right out of, that's like number four at Royal Port Rush. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Because it's, uh, I mean, the bunkers at Port Rush, the ball is just going in like a magnet. And um, when we played Port Rush, we finished about five 30 at night and the bus driver's waiting for us, there's 12 of us. And we were sitting, having a beer, and I said, wow, this golf course is unbelievable. Anybody want to go play some more holes? And I looked around, and this guy said, I'll go, I'll go. Well, all 12 guys, or all 11, including myself, said, yeah, let's do it. I said, okay, here's the deal. I'll be the first group. Boom, boom, boom. You three are with me, and we're going to fly. I'll go get us all caddies again. They haven't left yet. And Everybody follows us, and we're going to play as fast as we can. Well, we finished in the dark. The group behind us, but we, we could see. The group behind us finished uh, a little darker, and the final group couldn't see anything. We could hear their ball land up near the green. We all played all 18 holes again. That's, that was a golf day. For me, that was great. I mean, I, 
I could play 36 holes a day for a month. It's still, it's age you know, 70. I love to play. I, that's actually a question I'm going to wait till, till the end to ask you because I found an old interview uh, where you touch on pace of play. And I'll, I'll save that one for a finisher. But um, to, to the course playing so much in the tradition of Lynx golf, which I, I've told a lot of people, I'm, I'm a, I do enjoy um, Kohler and I think it's beautiful. It does have the vision and the, the aesthetic of Lynx golf, but I, don't, I never felt that it played uh, like Lynx golf. You go out to Aaron Hills, it doesn't have, like you said, the turf wasn't naturally built on sand, more of that rock base, but the course plays like a Lynx golf course. And, and I was coming up for three consecutive years on the very last weekend you guys were open. It was kind of became a little tradition for my cousins and uncle. And um, it, it was really neat to play at that time of year because the wind was up, the temperature was down, and the, uh, the ground was firm. And, and so by playing it for those three years under those conditions, you know, I was so excited for the U.S. Open. We, we came up, as, as I mentioned, um, to watch it. The only thing was the soft conditions that kind of, you know, as, as just a fan, I was watching it, uh, a fan of the golf course, a fan of pro golf. I was watching thinking, oh, no, why, why did it have to rain so much? Like this is, this is the last thing I wanted. And for the first couple of days, obviously just played like a very different golf course. I'm wondering for you guys that were so much closer to the build up to that and, and were, you know, a part of it. What did that feel like? Uh, when the conditions, when we just got soaked that, that whole week leading up to it? Well, the excitement, you know, never ended for 10 days. Um, and, and we were prepared uh, 100%. The USJ was thrilled with the condition starting on Sunday and then Monday in the practice rounds. You know, the players were coming in and they were playing Monday and, and Tuesday and then the golf course changed Tuesday night and players went back out on Wednesday and it was, it was just a different golf course. Like you said, it was no longer firm and fast. Um, you know, the fairways are probably wide in USJ uh, standards of hosting a U.S. Open, but at the same time we had length, so you couldn't be hitting two irons and three irons off the tee. You had to use your driver. Um, and and you had to move it left to right or right to left um, Monday and Tuesday to keep it in the fairway uh, because they were firm. And if you didn't uh, control the golf ball in, in a fashion where, you know, the fairway on number seven, for example, it slopes a little bit to the right. Uh, the ideal is to draw it into that, into that hole. Um, and we have a lot of holes like that. And number one, uh, you need to fade it off the tee or it bounces left and goes into the, the hazard. So all those kind of shots were needed on Monday and Tuesday. But on Wednesday, they went back out and they could just bomb it. And it stayed like that. And then the wind died. And then you had, like Curtis said, perfect greens. I mean, they were perfect. The ball was like rolling on a glass tabletop. Um, and you also have the best players in the world. And there you have it. And, and those guys, you get perfect greens and caddies that can read putts. They make lots of putts. Now, Brooks Kepka, yeah, he won at 16 under par, which is a low, that's pretty low for 
uh, for a U.S. Open, you know, they like to have um, four or five under. But uh, Kepka, he just kind of ran away with it at the end. You know, he birdied. Um, he got a great up and down on 13 to make par. He missed the green. And at the time, I think they were tied. And he gets a nice up and down. And then 14, he, he hits a, uh, a terrific bunker shot to the back left pin and makes it for birdie. And I think now he has like a one-shot lead. And then he hits a nine iron on uh, 15 to a tight, tight pin. I mean, 10 feet right of that. It's a huge slope, about 20, 30 feet down. He could make five or six, but instead he, he hits it perfect, makes it, birdie 16, and now he has a three or four shot lead. So it, it was a pretty tight tournament up until the end. And I know that for television viewers, it was a fantastic tournament. Uh, and you read about that in the press over and over and over again. And everybody that comes here and plays it and has for the last two years has said how much they wa like watching the U.S. Open yeah. because it was pretty tight. And then Kepka just went birdie, 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 and he parred 17 and 18 and then a four-shot victory. Yeah, I, I, I think of a few things when people um, maybe remember that as, as the, you know, Brooks either running away with it or the guys went really low. If It's not what really happened, to your point. I mean, if anyone that thought the course was playing easy – uh, just ask seven of the top 10 golfers in the world that would totally disagree with you that it was indeed. Right. That's correct. Even though it was soft, it, the course uh, played beautifully and, and played difficult. Um, and so I, I was, I did the whole rewatch uh, prepping for the conversation with you guys today. And uh, I maybe had forgot a little bit of that, but you know, th those guys getting ejected <laughs> on Wednesday and Thursday was really interesting and fun to watch. Um, so even though it wasn't firm, it certainly was the, the ultimate test of golf. It was firm. I mean, even the weekend before was, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. Like, um, speaking with Zach Reineking, our superintendent, he, he was having conversations with players coming off the course, um, on the Sunday before practice round saying, if it, if it stays like this, we're going to shoot a hundred. Um, and you had players like, um, I don't know if I should say his name, but you had the players who couldn't reach the 11th fairway off the tee like they just they because of the wind wind conditions the weekend before so then um just as soon as the, the it's it's funny because it, it seemed like from I, I was involved a little bit on the turf grass volunteer side and the worse the weather conditions they got got the uh the calmer our, our crews got they they definitely responded and, and like rich said were very very prepared and the course was dialed in so nicely being closed you know, eight months before the championship. So was our crew. Um, I just, I have a lot of, I have a lot of respect for our Driftgrass team. They, they really stepped up and, and any challenge that was thrown at them, they, they were there to meet it um, quite literally. So I mean, that was kind of cool to see and, and play a very small role in. Steve just mentioned we were closed for eight months prior. Okay. Now yeah. you, in 119 years, uh, most of them have been at private country clubs. And we all know the Oakmonts and Shinnecocks and the Oakland Hills of the world and could list go on and on and on. Um, we sat in a meeting in July of 16 and Mike Davis was there and, and my owner, Andy Ziegler was there. And, and so the question came up is when do you, when do you plan 
done closing the golf course prior to the tournament. You know, he wanted to know, are you going to close it on the Sunday before or the Saturday before? And when, when their guests can't play. And Andy said, we're going to close it uh, October 1st. And he said, no, no, no. No, when are you going to close? He said, no, no. We're closing October 1st, which was eight months. So we didn't open in October. Now we have winter season here, of course. But we also didn't open April, May, or the first half of June. And so there was not a divot on the golf course, and it was in pristine condition. And so, yeah. um, and so then, you know, Mike, he about fell out of his chair when he, when he heard. But that's, that's our owner. That's how Andy thinks. He wanted it to be the best U.S. Open ever in 117 years. And, and um, speaking from the inside out, I'd say it was, it was really, really good. I'll speak from the spectator standpoint. Um, I think I came up two different days, but Saturday, what's, what stood out for me is, um, you know, we caught wind of Justin Thomas's round that was going on. He was wearing those bright pink pants, so you couldn't miss them. That's right. Uh, but we started, I can't imagine going, I've been to a couple other U.S. Opens, and I don't think this would have been possible at those those locations like Oakmont that you mentioned and and uh, even like Torrey where we were, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, and we were following Justin Thomas. Yes, it was a good walk. You know, we had to go up and down the hills, but we were able to follow that group and get elevated views of probably, I'd say, 75% of his golf shots for that record-setting round, you know, U.S. Open record 62. Um, it was awesome. And, and I, got, I had goosebumps, like, is that that final shot on 18. So I just wanted to know for you guys, what was some of the most memorable moments of that week? Well, that would definitely be one of them. You know, it played 660 yards, not much wind. And there are some bunkers that, that I don't ever worry about personally. And so Justin lays up with a three wood off the tee. And then he's 301 to the green. And he hits another three wood. It hits into the bank. It's, there's a little bit of a false front on 18 green. And the three wood is smoking hot, comes in, hits that bank, kills it, rolls up 10 or 12 feet past the hole, and he makes it for an eagle, course record, all-time lowest 900 par at a U.S. Open. I mean, it was like whole hum. I mean, 301 yards uphill, by the way. It's also uphill. And not much wind. So, you know, all these things that happened, that would probably be one of the most exciting. Um, to crown a champion that, you know, some people hadn't heard of yet, Brooks Kepka. They all knew he was talented, but, um, and that was the first of his four majors, was right here at Aaron Hills. Um, that would be, that would be a, a memorable one. Um, the fact that the, and this is not has nothing to do with golf, but um, for the fans, getting in and out of Aaron Hills was painless. It was uh, very, very smooth. We had two huge parking lots that were 15 or 20 minutes away, and they were bussed in and dropped off right at the front gate. And, and there was, I don't know, 30, 50 buses that were going, you know, all day long. Um, so the lines to get on the bus and to the course – we're short. The lines getting back on the bus, going back to your car, we're short. Um, we had ample parking uh, on site. And Steve mentioned 652 acres. So 
the players parked right next to the, uh, which was a built locker room. And, and they walked 50 yards and they were at the range. Um, very, very private practice facility for them in terms of the fans. We had bleachers behind the range so everybody could watch. We would hold a couple thousand people to watch them practice on the range. Um, see, all those kind of things um, is, you know, it's all about the USJ. They, they just don't make any mistakes. You know, they come in and they were here two years prior to the tournament. They lived here, uh, four guys, or girl, I think a couple gals, and they lived on prop. So, I mean, they're prepared uh, for a tournament. They've been here for two years, and then they go to the next site, and they, wherever that was headed, I guess, uh, let's see, it'd be Lion Winfoot. I think after they left us, they went to New York City, uh, which, um, yeah, maybe it Shinnecock. No, I'm not sure. Uh, but nevertheless, yeah, it would have been Shinnecock, 19, Winfoot's this year. Yep. So, but I think, you know, one thing that stands out to me reflecting on it this week was how important that open at Aaron Hills was for a few groups, uh, the, the Midwest being one of them. And, you know, that epic journey to get a U.S. open, you know, the United States isn't just on the coast. It's part of uh, the heartland, too. And having it come back there is is really cool. And then from um, the millennials, a whole new generation, I thought, I thought what was really unique rewatching it is no tiger, no Phil, and still a very exciting, engaging leaderboard of all kinds of different skill sets and players. And I thought it was to me that, you know, golf is bigger than just uh, a couple names. And, and you look at the generational guys, you know, you had Fleetwood in the mix, Brooks, obviously emerging on the stage speed, um, uh, JT, you know, this is kind of like a, a bigger coming out party on a national stage for him. Fleetwood. Fleetwood, thank you. Ricky Fowler was there. Xander Joffley, yeah. who's a great, great player. He, he was right, right in the hunt. And, the and exactly. So I, I was re-watching all this, and I was thinking to myself, man, you know, that's the new, the new wave of talent, right? And, and a lot of those guys have gone on to do some pretty cool things in the last few years. But I thought for those two groups it was – it was important. Yeah, I would agree with you, Matt. Um, and, the, you know, the millennials are, are coming back to the game of golf, which is kind of nice. I mean, golf, it's growing. It's not growing at a fast pace, which is okay. But, um, but they are finding that they like the challenge of the sport, you know, which is kind of nice. And, you know, PGA of America, the USGA, the RNA, you know, they're doing all sorts of nice nice studies that are bringing more people to the game of golf. And, and there, there's just a lot of good things about the game. And of course I've been around it for 60 years um, and hope another 20 I'd like to be if I could. Um, but well, there was, there was another gentleman who didn't make it all the way to the open, but I did find his name uh, qualifying for sectionals in uh, us open sectionals in 2017. And that was you, Rich. So I did. I, yeah. In fact, um, we flew down to, to Muirfield to qualify there, which is, you know, it, we didn't play at Muirfield. We were in Muirfield. In fact, it was the day before the, the, the what they call it, the uh, Memorial. Um, and so we, we played a practice round and we, then we went to uh, where Jack grew up and, and played his course. Uh, and my owner was with me. Uh, in fact, he took me there on his plane, which was even better. 
Um, but, you know, over the years, I've tried to qualify for the U.S. Open probably 15, 20 times. Uh, I made it to the sectional a few times, but never made it to the U.S. Open. Um, made it to the U.S. Senior Open a few years back out in Caves Valley, and that was a highlight of one of my golf careers, uh, to be able to play with with Gary Player and Jim Thorpe and you know Larry Nelson and those kind of guys. Um, Arnie was there. I didn't play with him, but but I did have a chance to, to, to chat with him and get an autograph from my mother, which was kind of nice. She enjoyed that. But, um, you know, you asked the question of, in terms of favorite golf courses and, you know, where do you like to play? And, I mean, there's so many good golf courses and so many great golf destinations just in our country. You don't have to go to Ireland or Scotland. You know, we mentioned Wisconsin golf, and I told you it's the number one destination now with public golf courses with Kohler and us. And then you go to Lake Geneva area, and which you're familiar with, of course, being a Chicago boy. And then you got Sand Valley, who was owned by Mike Kaiser, who built Bandon Dunes, uh, still building it. I think what they call it, the Sheep Ranch, I think yeah. is going to open um, tomorrow or June 1st, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so he's got five golf courses and a par three. But then you add Pinehurst and Doral and the Primlin and PJ West and Torrey Pines and Pebble. And, and I mean, you just go on and on and on right here in our country. And I think this year is going to be a, a gangbuster year for destinations because people are tired of being locked up in their house for the last two months. They're going to get out. I know manufacturers are so far behind because club fittings are going off the charts with TaylorMade and Titleist right now. People, people have money. They haven't spent any money in two months, so they're buying new clubs. And, and of course, they're going to go use them. So they'll come to Aaron Hills, I'm sure. I hope. I'm, I'm with you on that. It's, you know, I've, I'm a pretty amateur history buff, but I do like to look back at different times of golf and the, the times they've slowed down, the time they sped up. But I think right now, if you're a avid golfer and you really enjoy this game, I can't imagine there's a better time to be a golfer in America where it's, you have a hundred year old venerable golf courses that you can go you know, check out and be immersed in their history. And then you have these unbelievable modern uh, built places that are, are built for fun and built for championships. And it's just, uh, it's endless. It's endless. So where do we find all the time? We just got to get out there and go. We do. I would agree. We're, in fact, I'm sitting in my office right now, but we're sold out today. We're sold out tomorrow. I tried to get a twosome on Sunday, which is uh, what the 30th or 31st of May. Sold out. I couldn't even fit a twosome on the golf course. Um, so those are all good signs. You know, people, people want to get out and play and um People that come to Aaron Hills, they're, they're very upset when they finish, when I talk to them, because they wish they'd have scheduled two rounds instead of just one. Um, they want to go and play it again. And so I, I highly always suggest to people to, to do the lodging, come in, play that afternoon, have a bratwurst first for lunch, play that afternoon, stay overnight, maybe have a fescue rescue at the finish of your round. Um, and just to, just to define that, maybe um, it is one-third Jameson, one-third lemonade, one-third ginger beer in a tall glass with ice and a twist of lemon. 
and one of our bartenders named it the Fescue Rescue. But, you know, you stay overnight, you do the drumlin' until midnight, you get up, you play it again, and then you leave. So you either go back home or you go to Kohler or you go to Sand Valley and, and what a trip, huh? It's not a bad way to go. Pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. We, I'd we, add to that, that, that Aaron Hills Pills is the new spotted cow for all of you Chicagoans. Aaron oh, yeah. Hills well, Pills. Okay. Cow. It's only sold in Wisconsin, by the way, spotted cow. Yeah. And we're the number one selling, I think, uh, dest- uh, destination or uh, company that sells spotted cow. We sell more spotted cow than anybody else for the uh, brewery. Well, <laughs> if you I, like spotted cow, you'll love Aaron Hell's Pills. Pr- pr- props to your bartender on the Fescue Rescue because uh, I think recently you guys shared that recipe on either an email or social media, and I tried to recreate it. I've had a lot more time on my hands at home, so I'm doing a lot more cooking. And I'm not a bartender, but I tried to recreate it. It, it was okay, but it was nowhere as good as what I had in person. Well, it's because you weren't sitting out on our back porch watching the sunset, <laughs> probably, you know, and people something. on the drumlin. That, that's why it wasn't quite the same. Yeah, the taste buds knew better. Yeah. Uh, well, we're pumped to be with you guys on June 13th, and this has really added to my excitement. Um, I can't wait to get up there. Uh, but as I promised, we still have two more courses that we have to reveal, Rich. But before we do, um, I wanted to, to ask you about that interview I stumbled on in 2012 because – People in New Club know me as a very um, amicable guy, unless you play slow. You know, if you play slow, <laughs> that we're going to have issues. So um, I, I was curious when I saw this interview, it said, uh, they asked you about your biggest pet peeve in golf, and you said slow play, unequivocally slow play, and the fact that people do not know how to make an effort to play faster. So I was wondering if you were... You're right. Yeah, so if you if you were golf czar, Rich, what how would you fix that? What do these people need to know that they don't already? First of all, you're correct. Most people don't know they're playing slow. They, they and then they look behind them and they say, "Wow, that group behind us, they're not really pushing us." Okay? Well, that group just caught up to them and they started a half an hour later than your group. Okay? But as you as you know, as a golfer, man, you just need to keep up with the group in front of you. You know, that's, that's the number one issue that people don't try to do. So if that group in front of you starts to pull away and they become a, a hole of head or a hole and a half, somewhere along the line, you've dogged it a little bit. Now, I understand if you lose a ball in the fescue and you look for your, well, it was five minutes, now it's three, but, um, and you move on, but you know, just be ready to play when it's your turn or just when you get to your ball, if no one else is hitting, hit it and keep moving. Um, and obviously not out in front of everybody. So you're in danger of your, of your health, but, but um, just be ready to play. That's number one. You know, our rounds here, it's first of all, it's, like I said earlier, nine mile, eight mile walk, depending on how straight you hit it or how crooked you hit it. Um, but it, it's, um, that just takes a while. So, our, you know, our rounds are about 4.45 to 5.05. And we have two to three rangers on the golf course at all times with iPads. And we have this Tag Marshal, which is a company out of South Africa, I think. We were the first course in the, in the world to, to have these little Tag Marshals. They're, they're, um, it's like a little square cell phone. 
and GPS. and uh, yeah, all GPS. And so all the caddies have them. And, and so the Rangers and the starter and in the golf shop, we can see if any group is out of position, we are immediately on them, asking them very politely to try to pick it up and catch the group ahead of them. And almost 100%, they do that. Um, and yeah, granted, it, they're taking pictures and they're doing this and doing that, but just keep playing. You know, that's, that's the key. Um, people can't believe that it takes them almost five hours to play, and they say, geez, we didn't wait one shot. We have 12-minute tee times. That's for the convenience of the players. It's, it's not for our pocketbook because we could obviously squeeze more golfers on the golf course in a, in a day if we wanted to, but it's for the convenience of the golfer. We want that player to walk off the golf course with a, just a wonderful experience and drive out of our parking lot saying, I can't wait to get back to Aaron Hills. That was quite the day, and you've been here numerous times, and, and, um, and that's what we have. We have a lot of repeat customers. They, they come back, and like I mentioned earlier, they come back and play two rounds that time, and yeah. they stay overnight and, and you know, enjoy everything. Well, I think you play faster walking than riding. No, I can play faster in a cart because I can get from point A to point B in a cart faster. Hmm. You know, uh, People say, ah, oh, it's a lot faster taking the caddy. No, I would disagree with that. But nevertheless, you know, um, it, it, if even, you're even if you're in a cart with somebody, Rich, even if you're if you got two carts with four people, you still think uh, carts are faster. Oh, I would, I, I would, depending on how fast the other player is and who and the other two I'm with. I mean, I've played with three other pros in state opens. I played like forty of them. Uh, we play in threesomes, and it takes us sometimes five hours to play. It's ridiculous. And we're in carts because they dink around and dink around and, and they just, you know, they just, they're not ready to hit. I mean, and, and uh, they look at the yardage book and then they throw up the grass and then they pull out a seven iron and then they go back to the bag and pull out a six iron. And it's like, just hit it. You know, <laughs> let, let's keep moving. I, you got you to take the MJ approach to uh, the golf. Just be like Mike and play 36 holes in four hours. Yeah. He just there, hits there it and go. goes gambling. But, but so, That'd be my number one, though. Try to stay up with the person in front of you and be ready to play when it's time to play. I play with, with our owner, Andy, and he's a fast player. In fact, I have to slow him down sometimes if we're sold out because he also doesn't like standing on a tee waiting. Um, but so I'll tell a couple stories or, or I'll, keep him, I'll keep him busy doing something so, so we don't stand around and wait. But uh, a very good player, by the way, eight handicap. Uh, loves the game, loves the practice, and we're very fortunate to have someone like that uh, in the state of Wisconsin that is giving back to the game of golf. And like you just said, golf is growing, golf is great. Herb Kohler, uh, Mike Kaiser, Andy Ziegler, I mean, those guys are giving back to, to our sport that we all love and give us an opportunity to play some wonderful golf courses. I love it. I couldn't agree more, and uh, that's probably a great place to – to end the discussion, chat with you guys. You know, I guess if in 1999, this, I learned a lot today that I didn't already know. In 1999, if they would have been successful on making it a residential golf course, I don't think we'd be talking here, gentlemen. I'm really no. happy that it ended up the way it did. I, I would agree. We wouldn't be talking. There's lots of golf courses around the country that are real estate properties, and, but not hosting 
major championships. Mm -hmm. So we're looking forward to our next one, the 2022 Mid-Am, you know, and then the 2025. Um, we've made a couple changes uh, to some tees. We're, we're doing some improvements this summer in preparation of that two years out, five years out. You know, I, as a as a golf geek, I think I'm more excited for the mid-am to see it there because what, what I want to see is, uh, you know, Aaron Hills for the, the guys that are phenomenal golfers, but they got day jobs, you know, and, and it's a place that you can play as somebody with a day job, and it's a place that you're going to see the world's best that also have to do other things um, than, than play on pro tours. I'm really pumped for that. Hopefully I'll be there as a player, but if not, I'll be there as a spectator. Well, I'd like to see it as both, but that'd be pretty good. But but the mid-am, for those that don't know, it you have to be over age of 25. So it eliminates all the high school and college kids that obviously are future tour players, future mini tour players. Um, and like you said, they, most of them have day jobs that uh, they're good amateur players in their respective states uh, or around the country. So we are, we're looking forward to it, too. It should be should be another great event. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Rich, thank you. Steve, thank you. Great being with you guys. And we'll see you uh, we'll see you on June 13th. All right, looking forward to it, Matt.